So how's it going? Pretty good. Glad the week's almost over. Hey, Me too. so did you ever hear more from um, that detective from that last case? Because she said yeah. that she had some, she might have some information, right? And then she was going to get back to you. Yeah, about the China Black case. Yeah. Yeah, no, she didn't get, well, so she said she was going to get back to me on, like, some other cases that she said could, would be, like, good to cover, Um, and she hadn't said anything for a while, so I actually just followed up with her, like, two days ago, and she, she wrote me back and said, she gave me some cases from Michigan. Oh, um, that were also unsolved, but she did. She hasn't updated me in regards to the case we covered. Okay. Other than the when she said in the beginning that um, she was, you know, hopeful. It seems like it's getting on its way to being solved, which is great. That's I don't know if I'm cool. allowed to say. I guess I am allowed to say that, right? Because I think yeah. She she said she couldn't release more than that, but. If she released that to you. Yeah. And I'm just, who the hell am I? Agreement. Right. Our first episode together. Do you remember what it was off the top of your head? Our first episode together. Um, I remember mm, early on was the guy who walked into the bar and never walked out. But I don't know if that was the first <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh because it's very tragic, but you're correct. That was the case. Yeah. That was the case of Brian Schaefer, which has been one of my most top of the list, like need to know what happened cases. Yeah. So Brian had been, he was a medical student in Columbus, Ohio. He had been out with friends um, at the end of the semester or was it? Yeah. I think spring break. celebrating the end of uh, exams, right? Um, His mother had just passed away like three weeks beforehand and he was having a rough time, but he was, you know, dealing with it. And yeah, so he goes out with his friends, you know, he's drinking and he is on surveillance at the bar. And then when it's time to leave, his friends can't find him. Mm -hmm. And he just never he's never seen again. They analyzed the footage and they were able to account for every single person leaving except for Brian. Yes. That's so odd. Well, you know what it is to me? I think, I think it's very strange, but I also think people focus on it too much because everyone that's into this case is so hung up on the fact and I'm not calling you out for this, but how you said he walked into a bar and never walked out. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody focuses on. Like, Oh my God, like he's in the building somewhere. I don't believe that. Like he probably, he could have left through the fire escape. Yeah. He was really intoxicated. Allegedly he could have left through the fire escape there could be some reason that the surveillance footage just didn't pick him up. But the reason the case is so fascinating to me is just because anyway, sorry, go, you go first. You were going to say, I was going to say, so did they, did they account for every person leaving the bar except for Brian? Mm-hmm. So I heard, I read that. Interesting. So, because my thought was that, I remember thinking that there was some sort of he got into a fight with other people at the bar and they, I don't know, dragged him out of the bar and something terrible happened. Right. Um, But he had to have left alone if they accounted for everybody else. Um, The other thing about this case is that I don't know if this is just odd to me, but that he went to the bar with some friends and then the friends just left him, even though they all arrived together. Well, that's okay. Actually, I know that Brian had been bar hopping that night and they had been going to different bars. And 
it's slipping my mind now who arrived with who, because I know, I know Brian's friend Clint arrived with their friend Meredith. Hmm. And I think they met at some point through the night, but I'm forgetting now off the top of my head at what point they, they met up together and if they all plan to leave together. So the story with that is they said that Brian said to them inside the bar that he was going to go talk to the band that was playing that night. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so he went to do that. Meantime, in the meantime, the bar closes, people are leaving and they don't see him. They check the restrooms. He's not in the restrooms. Later on, the band says they don't recall speaking to him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so if I recall correctly, they tried to call him a few times and they couldn't get it. They couldn't get him to answer. So they just ended up leaving. They assumed he just left. So I don't know if it was common for him to just walk off and, you yeah. know, do that the old Irish be. goodbye. That's true. I'm a fan of that. That's how I leave. <laughs> but I always say this when I talk about the Brian Schaefer case, and then we don't have to spend too much time on it, but. What gets me is the the whole thing about the cell phone ping. Yes, that's right. That thing, I feel like that's kind of glossed over in some some like when people discuss the case, it, it like I feel like nobody's focusing on focusing on it as much as they should. So like he had a uh, girlfriend who everybody thought he was going to propose to eventually. Yes. And he was due to go on a trip with her mm-hmm. um, that Monday. And he disappeared on, I believe, a fr- yeah, Friday night slash Saturday morning. Yes. Anyway, so she used to call his phone like every day just to hear it ring and hope that, you know, and just to hear like his voicemail. Right. So she had been calling every day. He disappeared. um at the end of March, like the April 1st or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, she called every single day. And then in September, it actually rang three times when it had been just going straight to voicemail. Yes. And she said she was so excited. She said it was one of the best things she had ever heard. And she just mm-hmm. kept calling to hear it ring. Um, even if no one picked up. Mm-hmm. the ping from when the phone was ringing was like was uh it pinged off a tower in hilliard ohio which is apparently is 14 miles northwest of columbus mm-hmm. which is where he was last seen so and that's really all they have about it like the phone company said it might have been a glitch but then they interviewed this other woman that brian was supposedly hitting on yeah, the night the night he was in the bar, that said she used to work for a phone company, and she's like, "There's no way that's a glitch because it kept ringing when she kept calling it. It wasn't just one time, right? Right? Because I guess the phone company said like, when you call a phone and it rings, like she, they they said the ringing could have just been like it was bouncing between towers trying to find a signal or something, and it was a glitch, but okay. she his girlfriend had been calling it over and over and it kept ringing throughout the day. Yeah. Which just gives me so many chills. Like why? Yeah. It's as if whoever it's as if someone had taken his phone after whatever happened. And I don't know. They had it off until that day. Is there a chance that the, they the phone was like recycled and was in someone else's ownership you want to know what (laughs) that is actually one of the best things i have ever read about this i actually posted about this in the unresolved mysteries um thread or uh sorry forum on reddit yeah and I posted about the cell phone ping because I felt like it didn't get enough attention and I got the best comment. So I got a comment by this person named Vel V E L V T A. Um, and they say e-cycle 
is a mobile phone recycling company based in Hilliard that started in 2005. I posted this on Web Sleuths a year ago, maybe. His phone may have ended up there, and firing the phone back up may be part of the recycling processes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is fascinating because Brian disappeared in 2006, and this place started in 2005. So if his phone ended up there... How did somebody find it and turn it in? You know, it's just, I think this is a real promising something. I don't know. Yes. It intrigues me. I also think one of the most unnerving things about this, I believe you had said that this city that he disappeared in was one of the most heavily surveilled cities. Yes. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I was trying to think for a second because we did Andrew Gosden and London is incredibly surveilled, but Columbus, Ohio, you're right. You are right. It's one of the most heavily surveilled cities in the country. Yes. And okay. Let's say he went out a fire escape. Is there, they, I mean, they searched surveillance around the area and nothing picked him up anywhere. Nothing. And you would think at some point, somewhere, like, where is his body or, he, or where is he? Right. I don't, a lot of people think, I mean, I, at least I've seen, like, a lot of people think he, he, like, started a new life. But I'm so skeptical, skeptical about those. He started a new life, you know, like. Yeah. I, feel, I don't think, because. If you're going to plan to do that, why, first of all, if you're going to plan to do that, why are you going to do it on a night that you're out drinking and how you'd have to have like incredibly good luck to evade surveillance? Yeah. But if you're not going to plan it, let's say you're just really depressed in the heat of the moment, you want to start a new life, then you're going to be sloppy and make mistakes. Yes. Yes. And you're going to be caught on surveillance. So I don't buy that he started a new life. I think it was foul play. I just don't know what kind of foul play. Mm -hmm. I think he was, he was very drunk. I do know that. Yeah. And that could have contributed. But then again, you would think if he's stumbling around outside, you know, you would think something, if there was some altercation, wouldn't somebody have noticed that? Wouldn't there be some kind of evidence, some blood, some something? He's a six foot tall man. He's not like easy to snatch up. And for what right. purpose? Right. He's a good looking guy. I mean, he just, I feel like people would notice, but that's why this case for me is just like, it's one of the top ones. I'm just like, I need to know what happened, you know? Yeah. It's definitely one of the most unexplainable ones that I've ever heard, if not mm-hmm. the most unexplainable. Yeah. And of course I'll, re- I'll close by saying this. God bless his poor brother because his family consisted of his parents and then him and his brother. Okay. He had a younger brother. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. So as I said, his mother passed away like three weeks before he disappeared of yes. cancer. Yeah. In 2008, which would have been two years after Brian disappeared, his father was out like cleaning up after a storm and was hit by, or no, I'm sorry, it wasn't after a storm. He was killed um, during a heavy windstorm when he was in his yard and he was clearing up his yard and a branch, a branch blew off of a tree and killed him. What a freak accident too. So just imagine this guy's brother, okay? Brian's brother. Um, his name is uh, Derek. So your mom dies to cancer. Three weeks later, your brother goes missing. No trace. And then two years after that, your father's killed by a, a tree branch in a storm. Like, I'm not joking or trying to be overdramatic. I, I'm seriously getting chills right now because... It's just so, I just can't even put a word on it. Right. 
And I mean, obviously, it, it's just a coincidence the way all of these things, not a coincidence, but, you know, all of these things, they're not connected. Right. No, I get what you're saying. These deaths are I don't believe that they are. And yet, no. and yet for it to happen in one family, these. Like, in the span of three years. Three yeah. Are, are so improbable. Like most people do not experience a family member disappearing. And most people do not experience a family member dying by a tree branch blowing off of a tree. Right. Those are so drastically improbable. And both of those happened to family members of this poor guy, as well as his mother passing away. I mean, just what are the chances of losing three family members like that in such a close period of time? I do think that he's married, which is good. I mean, that he has some, you know, I'm sure he has some people in his life. I don't really know much about him, but I yeah. really, I seriously pray, pray for him because mm-hmm. That's just an awful, awful hand to have been dealt. And I just really, wherever he is, I hope he's okay. Mm -hmm. Because that's traumatic, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. So, you know, 16 years, 16 and a half years he's been missing, Brian. Wow. The next one you and I did together was uh, Andrew Gosden. Which okay. we kind of touched touched on already. You remember it? Um, vaguely. Can you give me a quick rundown? Yeah. So Andrew Gosden was a young God. He was he was fourteen, but he looked twelve. I believe mm-hmm. he was a young guy. Um, yeah, he was fourteen years old. He was from South Yorkshire in uh, England. This is the one where, you know, he was a smart young man. Like he liked to read. He was very um, good in school. You know, by all accounts, he was pretty close with his family. He had perfect attendance at school. And one day he leaves his house, but he doesn't go to school. He goes to a park and waits. And then he goes back to his house after his parents have left for work. And then he changes his clothes out of his school uniform and he leaves again and he boards a train to London yeah. by himself. He is a gamer, isn't he? Yes. A computer gamer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Computer, I don't remember. Yeah. No, he, I don't know specifically what uh, he was in I mean, that, the purse. Yeah. That doesn't really matter what he played, but he was a gamer. Yeah, so he had like a portable thing that you play games on, whatever you call it, console or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was actually seen on the train by someone. A woman that sat next to him said that he was quiet and he was engrossed in playing his game. The the sad part about this is that the school believed they called uh, his parents to let him know he wasn't there, but they misdialed. Yes. Uh, and they left a message on the wrong person's phone. Anyway, so it's a lot of time passed before they realized anything was amiss. Like the parents got home and by the time they got home, Andrew was always up in his room doing homework or just doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize he was gone until they called him for dinner and he didn't come down and he wasn't there. So that's when they start freaking out. Eventually, they find um, these surveillance images of him boarding the train, or I'm sorry, getting off the train at King's Cross Station uh, in London. Mm -hmm. And so his reasoning for traveling to London are unknown, but he has not been seen since. Right. You have to wonder how things would have turned out differently had they called, had the school called the correct number. I don't know because I mean he didn't have a cell phone. Okay, mm-hmm. this happened in this happened in two thousand seven. Just as a re- context reminder, I mean yeah. I don't believe he had a cell phone. Uh, he did withdraw money before he left. He withdrew like everything in his bank account, mostly yeah. I think. But he left home a bunch of birthday money that he had. That's odd. But did he forget about it or did he Maybe just he just like forgot about it? Right. 
I am pretty confident that he was talking to other gamers online and someone convinced him to travel to London to meet them. Um, uh, pretending to be, you know, another 14 year old kid and they were not. I agree with um, you. I mean, the internet is a dangerous place, but I think in 2007 when the internet was younger, it was more dangerous. There's a, I mean, I don't know if I can say more, but it certainly was, it's, it's always dangerous to chat with strangers online. I agree with you, especially given the uh, arrest that we discussed. It -hmm. sounds like they arrested these people in connection with his disappearance. So they have to have something that links, links this person or these men to Andrew, no matter how obscure, we don't know that, but. I agree with you. I think he he somehow was, I don't want to say lured, but lured. I mean. I think he was lured. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 14-year-olds are very impressionable. I think they're easy to convince. Yeah. And I mean, he had perfect attendance at school, but, you know, maybe he really connected with these people, alleged people that he may have been speaking to. Um, yes. I don't uh, know. It's a t- now, that's a tough one. I don't know if you remember if it was this case or another case um, that something surfaced online in some sort of chat room where they said that they had left home when they were young. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yes, absolutely. Was this was this the Andrew case? Yes, it was. Um, there was a post. God, now it's going to, I'm not going to be, be able to find it probably right now, but yeah, it was some sort of a post. It was years after he went missing mm-hmm. and his name, his screen name was similar to a name or a nickname that he had. I believe Andy, Andy Rue. Yes. And his, his parents or his mother or something called him Rue. Okay. Yes. And so the post was basically like, can somebody send him some rent money? He just left his boyfriend of however long and mm-hmm. he didn't have a bank account because he left home. That could have been tied into it. And I think it's very likely that he was speaking to someone online who was a predator and claimed to be his boyfriend or claimed that he wanted to engage in a relationship like that. And it was just a predator situation. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I found. And this is allegedly, this is according to his father, Andrew's father. Okay. When he was, when he was asked about this whole thing with the online person. Yeah. And he says, basically it was a conversation asking for help with 200 pounds of rent after a partner had walked out. The username was Andy Rue. Not many people know we called him Rue for years, as he is a little bouncy. He was offered help, but couldn't provide bank details as he had no account because, quote, I left home when I was 14. When asked if there were problems, he said no, quote, just felt like it. The chat was brief as a friend came around and bailed him out mid-conversation. The police tried everything on the chat provider, but they could not trace it back. Hmm. that's pretty I don't know it could be complete crap because it's the internet but 14 that's I don't know know. yeah that's very specific I don't know you know what breaks my heart is that it's just there's just enough where I feel like his poor parents probably still hold, hold out some hope that he's alive I'm sure they do. Yeah. But it must be torturous for them to not know because like, I think I've seen things with them before where they said, you know, regarding his sexuality or whatever, they're like, we don't care what kind of lifestyle you lead at all. Like, cause I think his parents were kind of like Christians or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a theory that maybe Andrew was struggling and might've been gay. Mm-hmm. And so they came out and they were like, we're not upset. We won't 
judge you, just come back, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. But uh, given that somebody was arrested, I, I tend to think maybe, you know, maybe he was questioning his sexuality and like he confided this in people online. Yeah. Who, who then used it to lure him into London for God knows what. Yeah. And then I suppose he, he really was just trapped in London because he didn't have enough money to live on his own. He was probably too young to get a job, you know, and try to make it out. He was entirely dependent on whoever he was with just being so young. Yeah. Um, I think as a parent, I would never want to accept the possibility of my child being dead. I think I would just always hold on to hope that they were alive. And especially in this scenario, there's enough that it seems plausible. I agree. I don't, I don't feel strongly like that he's deceased. I, I think it's a possibility of course, Mm -hmm. but I don't, um, yeah, I agree. There's well, there's more hope in this than I have in some other ones, for sure. It has so. been so since 2007. Is that 15 years now? If it's been yes. 15 years, it just makes you wonder if at some point he, like, would he have tried to contact his family? In all of this time. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's tough. I feel like it would be very difficult to do to not. Yeah. But then again, I'm, I'm me and he's him and mm-hmm. his life is different. So. True. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of lean. If I'm guessing, I kind of lean towards foul play, honestly. Like yeah. Some sinister folks. He came and caught into contact with someone who had ill intentions. Um, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope that that's wrong, but I just, it's kind of what I would lean towards, I guess. Mm-hmm. It does seem the most likely, but I am curious if they, if they are ever going to release more information on these arrests. That's what I was going to say. We'll definitely keep following it. Yeah. I'll keep, I'll keep checking for updates because there has to be, something will come out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something will come out. I I feel strongly that we'll get an update at least. Yeah. At least about what the connection is. And maybe it's nothing, but maybe not, but yeah, you'll have to keep me updated. Oh, I will. You know me. (laughs) All right, Elaine, our next case that we did together was on Valentine's day this year. Do you remember this was the disappearance of another child, another really popular case amongst the true crime community? Hmm. Asia degree was her name. Okay. I remember her name. Is she the girl who left her home in the middle of the night? Yes. Walking along the highway, supposedly. Yes. How old was she? She was nine years old. And this happened in the year 2000. Wow. Yep. It's all coming back to you now, isn't it? It is. Now, was it Valentine's Day when she disappeared? Yes. Okay. Yep. Now it's all coming back to me. Which was also her parents' anniversary, sadly. Their wedding anniversary. That's heartbreaking. It's awful because nobody knows why she left. What on earth would motivate a nine-year-old girl to leave her home in the middle of the night? In a rainstorm. And she was allegedly afraid of rainstorms. And the dark. And And the dark. And if you're walking down a highway at that time of night, night. Like the idea of walking down a rural highway... In the middle of the night, it's terrifying for me. And I'm not like, yes. I mean, I'm not like afraid of the dark, really. I mean, 
You know what I mean? And I'm a, I'm a grown woman. So right. like, but as a grown I adult, imagine. I still would not do that. I cannot imagine. It's, no. it's, it's crazy. So yeah, that one had a bunch of weird clues. Um, you know, she was seen by multiple drivers driving as, as she was uh, walking. Uh, one driver attempted to stop and speak to her, but uh, she got spooked and ran into the woods along the side of the road or the, you know, like the trees or whatever. Yeah. Um, they found her belongings in a tool shed or whatever, like an upholstery, whatever barn thing. Yes. Yeah. Of an and, or someone nearby. Yeah. And there yeah. were like candy wrappers and like her hair bow and like a pencil. And they were like neatly aligned. Yeah. And then the photo of the other girl, the photo of another girl who is not her, who has also not been identified? Correct. Wow. And then a year later or so, her backpack, her backpack was found buried 26 miles in the opposite direction of where she was last seen. Double wrapped in trash bags and buried. Which, no, right. that doesn't sound good. No. I think the most compelling thing about this case is not it because there's kind of two mysteries built in one. Why did she leave her house at that hour? Mm-hmm. And, and two, what happened to her afterwards? Because if she left her house willingly and then she, I, let me put it this way. I don't believe she left her house willingly and then, in another turn of events, coincidentally, she encountered somebody that did her harm. I think those two things are connected. Yeah. She left for a reason, and that reason has to do with why she's missing. Yes. I wonder if there's a chance that she could have been under the influence of something when she got up and left her home. A nine-year-old? I, I'm not that like she didn't do it willingly, but could could someone have drugged a beverage or her food? I don't know. Is there is there any sort of drug that would make someone wake up and leave their home? I don't know. Yeah, that's um <laughs> crap. What is that called? That drug that does that? <laughs> yeah, when I took that last time, I was walking down the Dan Ryan. Uh, <laughs> it was four a.m. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I remember you know, that. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Something that would just make her, I don't know, delirious enough that if a stranger walked into her home and said, hey, it's 3 a.m., but get out of bed and follow me, you know. Well, I don't believe that because I think their house, it wasn't like super big. And I think they right, would have she shared a room with her brother, didn't she? She shared a room with her brother and her brother was like tossing and turning in the middle of the night. Or no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Her brother heard tossing and turning or she, what he thought was her tossing and turning in the middle of the night. So, yeah. I mean, it could, have been some, it could have been an intruder trying to get her out of bed. But is she going to go willingly and not wake anyone? If she well, feels in danger or is this if she, if she was under the influence of some sort of drug? When would this person have drugged her? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about this theory, Elaine. I love you, but I just don't know about it. <laughs> I don't know. But just, I just cannot think of any other reason that she would in her right mind, get up and leave in the middle of the night in a rainstorm. It had to be a really, really compelling reason. And I, I quoted this the last time when we did the episode, but Nick from True Crime Garage, which shout out to Nick and the captain. True okay. Crime Garage is my favorite podcast or one of them anyway, but okay. no, it's, it's my favorite. Anyway, um, they, Nick said that girl was either running from something or towards something. And whatever that was, was something big, like, that would cause this girl to do it. And well, true. Yes. 
So yeah, that one had to have been. But you know what, though, there's been another update in that, which we talked about in our episode. It's not like any surprise. All right. So it wasn't super recent, but I mean, it was 2018. The police um, released two images that they asked for the public's help in trying to make a connection to Asia. Um, The first was a book, a Dr. Seuss book, McGilligan's Pool. Oh, that's right. Which supposedly was checked out from Falston Elementary Media Center. But they don't have the records, obviously, because of how old the case was, of who checked it out. And then a new Kids on the Block concert t-shirt. And they basically showed these items and asked for, I don't know, like somebody who recognizes it or knows anything about it. Here's what this article says from the star, the Shelby star. Investigators investigators ask that anyone who had the book or shirt or knows anyone who had those items around the time of Aisha's disappearance to call them. But it doesn't say where these things were found, if they were found or if they were seen or how they're connected. But that was right. twenty. That was twenty eighteen. So, I mean, my my point is, yeah, twenty eighteen was four years ago. But at least it's not. I mean, this is an older case now, the year two thousand. So, yeah. Any up? Any updates? I don't that know. is interesting. That eighteen years later, they would ask for this information. It just that makes me feel really icky because um, I know that that sometimes police will ask for information regarding items in regards to things that they see in child pornography. And that's what makes me, uh, that just makes me really uncomfortable that that could be what they're asking about. We talked about this in our episode. Do you remember? I do remember and that and when you brought up those items that's what made me remember that that is really a a really yeah that's a really dark possibility I hate to say it but these things happen and it's awful and terrible um so I I hope that's not the case and that they're just like items that they either I don't know because see the thing is if they were found in her backpack that was buried they already listed some items they found in the backpack. Yeah. And I feel like they would have already listed that. I think they would have too. So I, these are something else from something else. And I don't, but this, then these must be new evidence that has come up. That's a really dark possibility. It makes me sad to think about. Yeah. yeah but anyway, we'll always keep, keep an eye out for, uh, for updates, obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the next one we did is the story of Hugues de la Plaza. Yeah. Hugues was a French citizen who was in the United States, working in the United States. Uh, I believe he was celebrating a promotion or something uh, on the night that he was ultimately that he died, I'll say, I believe he was killed. But oh, anyway, I remember yeah. now. Yeah. Now you remember. Yep. Yes. Yes. It, he was in a hotel room or a motel room. Nope. Okay. Never mind. Go ahead. He was in his own, he was in his own place. Um, he left the bar or the club or whatever at like 2 AM, like the normal closing time. He got home he was found the next morning because I guess neighbors or somebody was concerned enough to call the police because there was blood on like his, um, the stairs leading up to his front door. Yes. And blood all inside his room. Yep. Uh, his door was locked from the inside, but he was found deceased. Um, and he had three stab wounds. One, I believe, I forget exactly where they were, but Three stab wounds, no knife. Okay, there was an, I think there was a knife in the sink. Uh, but it was a there, cleaned there off was knife. A knife in the sink, yes. 
Anyway, they they tried to say it was suicide. Which I don't know I, how you are stabbing yourself three times. I don't believe it because, first of all, just, I don't believe it. How do you even have the energy to stab yourself after the first stab? Like, you think that would just put like, bring you to the ground? Now you're bleeding out and you have the capacity to stab two more times? The reason I don't believe it is because of the blood that was found on his, his belt, like not his balcony, but like, you know, when you open your front door and there's like a little stoop and then stairs going down, there was blood on there. And I think somebody, a neighbor, somebody said they heard like doors slamming or something in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. I think somebody came to his door. He opened his door, had a confrontation with somebody. He was able to shut and lock the door to escape them, but he succumbed afterwards. That's what I think happened. Yeah. I think that's very likely. Is this just a regular little door lock or was it a deadbolt? Let me look it up. I thought it was uh, a deadbolt, but I could be wrong about that. Um, If it was a deadbolt, then your theory does make sense because otherwise I was going to say I lock my door and then shut, pull it shut behind me all the time. So it's then locked from the inside. But I'm leaving my house. According to the article I have in front of me, which I'll link, uh, it was a deadbolt. Oh, okay. Oh. I think that everything points to him being attacked and him, him like, the attacker fleeing. Yeah. And then him, him like having enough wherewithal, is that the right way to say it? To yeah. shut the shut and lock the door and then he dies. I mean, yeah. because they saw in his apartment or wherever, they saw like it looked like he was falling, like he was trying to hold onto the wall, but he was like, I mean, I'm sorry, that's sad to picture or think about, but mm-hmm. but I don't know who would have targeted him. But they said he liked to flirt with women and he didn't really care if they were married or if they had a boyfriend. He, like, did not care. Yeah. He was kind of a ladies' man. And, like, yeah. So people have theorized that perhaps it was, like, some girl's husband or boyfriend that he pissed off by talking to their woman or something. But that's really the best they got, honestly. I guess. But to go through with murder over that? That's pretty extreme. But people get heated. Like, could could he have been dancing with somebody at the bar who followed him? I mean, he's seen on surveillance walking home. And he obviously, they know he got home. Yeah. Nobody was seen on surveillance approaching his house, but he had a back door. Okay. So I think that's what I'm remembering, right? But anyway, like. So it's unclear. It's unclear. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's why we're talking about it on my podcasts. Yes. <laughs> it is. And, and with, it's, it's weird and it's unsolved. <laughs> I don't. It's, it seems like if he was dancing with someone's wife or girlfriend, it, that would have resulted in a fist fight and not three stab wounds. But you never so, know. So what do you well, think you happened then? What do you think happened then? I mean, I agree that I think um, someone followed him home and and stabbed him in, with intending to kill him. I just don't know the reasoning behind it. I wonder if there's more in his private life that we don't know enough information about. Right. Um, or maybe it was just a crazy person that you shouldn't mess with. I don't know. So that one happened in... 2007. He was a 2007 one as well. Okay. Yeah. So year we graduated wow. high school. So not to give our not to give our ages or anything. Yeah, I'm looking at the crime scene photos, and this is n- not pleasant to look at, dude. Like the really? blood. That is pretty horrifying. May he rest in peace. He sounds like he was a cool guy. I mean. 
I yeah. I feel like he would have been I would have been friends with him. He sounds funny and charming, and mm-hmm. I don't know. He, yeah, I just get that vibe when reading about him. But yeah, so our next case, how many have we gone through now, Elaine? A lot. So number five is the security guard. I believe he's number five. That is Mr. Dale Kurtstetter. Yes. Yes. Um, And he has been missing since September 12th of 1987. 1987. Okay. Correct. So, yeah, that's what, 35 years? 35 years, yeah. Yeah, so Dale... Um, he was a father, he was a maintenance man and a security guard, and he worked at, uh, Corning Glassworks. Uh, and he basically disappeared during an overnight shift at the plant. Um, and which makes things far more sinister and interesting is that the same night he disappeared, a quarter of a million dollars worth of platinum was stolen from the plant. That's right. And for years since his disappearance, it's been speculated whether Dale was involved in this and assisted somebody in taking all this money Mm -hmm. or if he was an innocent victim who encountered foul play by somebody who wanted to steal all this stuff but whoever stole the platinum was supposedly familiar with the layout of the plant and um where to find what they wanted um well they so they have footage of him letting somebody into the building well no 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 he didn't let them in um he He opened the door no okay go ahead No, so what it was is an intruder appeared on the camera in like the back room by where the door was, right? And he came, he was able to come oh. inside. And I, and then Dale is seen meeting him a few minutes later. So Dale could have known this person was there and went to meet them, or Dale could have seen this person on the cameras and went to check out what the hell was going on. So the person was already in there and Dale Correct. Was- encountered him in the building already yes and then there's footage of him walking down the hallway and in that footage dale looks directly at the camera mm-hmm. hmm. bingo and there so, you have it that's the last time he's ever seen so that that's right Okay, so I don't know if this intruder necessarily knew exactly where to find the platinum because Dale could have led him to it if he was, if this intruder had like a gun to his back as they were walking down the hallway. Right. He just knew that there was platinum in this building. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that Dale is innocent here. He was not part of the conspiracy to steal it. I agree. I don't think we have any reason to think he would have left his family over this. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, from what I've heard and what I've read and the vibe I get, not, of course I didn't know the guy, but Mm -hmm. he seems like the type, like he might've been like a little pessimistic and like complained about his job and was like, yeah, they're a bunch of crooks and whatever. And like going to work again. And you know, like, but he doesn't strike me as the type that would like, he, he seemed like in his heart that he was a good person. And as much as he like maybe joked about his job or like talked that he didn't like it or was allegedly unhappy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's his job. No one, no one likes their job. Like, no one loves their job. You like to complain about having to go to your job. Yeah. But like, that's just, that's just what people do. Exactly. And I think we talked about, about this in the it. episode. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that he's guilty. Um, but that said, 
I don't know that he will be found, unfortunately, at this stage because it's 35 years old. What do you yeah. think? I mean, do you think it's likely? I feel unconfident. I think he was probably killed then, like in 1987, in the moment at the factory. Um, and That's so I don't sad, think dude. To find now, isn't that so sad? It is. It's heartbreaking. I feel terrible. Is he, he must have been so scared, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and I- he was almost <sighs> going to be done. Enjoy his life. It's horrible. I, I I truly think he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, one thing on as we wrap this case up, I just saw this linked on Reddit to a post that I was looking at and involved in, and I've never looked at this channel before. But anyway, this person's name is RN Stoner. It looks like he has videos on unsolved mysteries, but apparently. This person on Reddit just said, oh, um, this guy apparently just covered this case. And it's very interesting because this this user, S-L-Y-L-A-D, Slylad, L-A-D, uh, says Aaron Stoner just covered this case. He thinks a skull found in a canal in Canada about four hours from where Kerstetter went missing may be his. Oh, I haven't watched the video yet, but I plan to. And since I'm mentioning it now, I'll make sure I link it in my sources. Yeah. Wow. Because that's intriguing. I, I want to hear what this guy has to say. But Yeah. Who is this guy who thinks that the skull belongs to him? Um, his name is Aaron Stoner. And I clicked on the link and he's got a YouTube channel. It looks like he has, he has, uh, how many videos does he have? Yeah, he's got a bunch of videos about, uh, like, unsolved mysteries here. But, yeah, more to come on that one, I guess. Cool. Next, case number six. Case number six that we did together was on July 22nd, 2022. So the height of the summer. And we discussed the confounding journey and the unsolved murder of Blair Adams. Now, Blair was a Canadian man. If you recall, he uh, had struggled with some addiction issues. He was uh, attending Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, It seemed like he was on the right track, but leading up to his disappearance and subsequent death, well, it wasn't really even a disappearance, but anyway, um, he started acting strange. He was making mistakes at work. He seemed very paranoid. He told people in his life he was afraid for his life. You're looking confused, so I know you don't remember this yet. Now you realize it. Now I'm remembering. Now I remember. Yeah. Yes. Can I jump ahead? Did they find him in a parking garage? Yes. Yes. In a parking lot. In a parking lot. Yes. They found him. Parking lot. Okay. Yep. Oh, this is weird. Yep. Yeah. So basically he's found deceased in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. He's found deceased. His cause of death was like a abdominal perforation. So he was in some sort of struggle, but the real mystery here is not just his death, but why was he traveling all sorts of crazy ways from Canada into the you if you remember he had a crazy journey he went from like vancouver into mm-hmm. seattle and then he drove and then he went to washington dc and then he drove down to kentucky or uh, excuse me tennessee yes and it's well, like he was trying to get out of canada and couldn't the first time and then he tried again to get out of canada and then he bounced back and forth mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. u.s Mm-hmm. Definitely trying to escape somebody. Yeah. And I think what we, the conclusion that you and I came up with, or that you put forward and I agree with, I think it almost seems like somebody was forcing him to do this. And 
they came up with some sort of crazy path for him to take. Yes. To evade, I don't know what, but to throw someone, to throw people throw off, maybe? I don't know. People off the scent, yes. So who was he afraid of? Why was he afraid for his life? Was it related to his, dis- his uh, crazy journey all over the country? And who, in the end, ultimately killed him? Was that, like, related? Was So I think the main question in this case is, like, is this guy a paranoid person suffering from some mental issue? Mm-hmm. And that explains his movements. But then, at the end of the day, who ended his life? Somebody. Was that a complete coincidence? Was he having a mental breakdown that ended like with him in this parking lot in Tennessee. And then he just so happened to encounter somebody that killed him or is it all somehow related? And somebody was after him and somehow found him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that I one was it's gotta be that, but this say one, that again. Yeah. I think it's gotta be that someone was after him, but this is, one of the crazier stories too actually i save all the crazy ones for you no i'm just kidding i love it 1996 he was 31 years old very sad again i don't know the like likelihood of this one being solved either to be honest but if you remember he had booked a flight to germany too and like didn't that's right then he cashed in his ticket it's so bizarre it's like Yes, yes. He was definitely trying to throw someone off of his tracks. All right. Well, the next one, Elaine, is the last one that we... we No, it isn't. Sorry. We've got two more. Two more. Yes. You, you remember now. I do. The, the seventh, would this be, is uh, the story of China Black. Yes. Which is unlike any case i've ever done before because it's the story of an unidentified person who is still alive yes she's still alive we know where she is we just don't know who she is right or what happened to her well that would work for deceased (laughs) jane does as well (laughs) but i get where you're yeah i get you um that's a fair point also, she's alive, yes. Yes, she is alive. We can um, communicate with her. She just does not know anything about her history. Um, she is an amputee, correct? Yeah, so... Double th- amputee or single? Double. Double amputee. Yeah, she's uh, missing her legs. At yeah. least the legs below the knees, I think. So she's living in an adult care facility in uh, Michigan, in Detroit, Michigan. And we were touching on her a little bit uh, at the beginning because I I reached out to the detective who's working on her case um, because she was interviewed in the news segment that I had shared on my last episode uh, about her. And she said, as we talked about a little bit in the beginning, that she's competent it's on its way to being solved but like she couldn't say anything else at this point so i think that's that's really promising that that, it's on its way to being solved i hope but i hope you know what i hope i hope that it's a good outcome for her and it's not something like that she's abandoned or like you know yes she has no one you know, yeah, it sounds like they're on their way to finding the answer, but I hope the answer is more than just like that, you know, her either her loved ones are passed away or like, you know what I mean? Like, I just hope yes. it's good. I hope it's good news mm-hmm. um, for her she is, sake. She's under the impression that she has a husband and a son. Right. That's what's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, I worry. Is that true? Are they out there? Do they know that she is trying to find them? I don't know. I mean, you'd have to think, like, if your mother or your wife, I mean, even if it's your ex-wife, I don't know, man. That This one's crazy. 
I, I'm, I'm hoping that the, or I'm not, I, I wouldn't say hoping. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if the answer to this is more straightforward than it seems. Hmm. That it's like, I don't know what that would mean, though, to be honest. It was coherent in my head, but when it met my mouth, <laughs> it didn't come out coherently. I, I I guess what I mean is I wonder if there's just like a simple explanation for it. Like, Yes, and likely that is. Usually the simplest answer is the correct answer. Thanks, Occam. Yes. <laughs> I hope people get that joke. <laughs> I hope people do too. And if they don't, they'll look at a Occam. <laughs> that brings us to case number nine or eight. I don't remember. I'll count them at the end, I guess. Okay. But this is the last case we've done together. Yep. Do you remember it? A family in a car going to the dad gets his job at like a logging company and then they disappear. Yes. We're talking about the Jack family. Yeah. 1989. It's they clear that I'm bad with names. Cause I can't, I haven't remembered any of the names of any. No, that's okay. But you've been really good when I give the name and then I, I started a little bit, you fill it all in. You remember, I know you do. I mean, I, I, it's yeah, it doesn't mean any I mean it's nothing on you. It's just it's a lot of information. But anyway. Yes, the Jack family. The Jack family. So they were from Prince George, British Columbia, Canada, 1989. They were an indigenous family. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Jack and Doreen, husband and wife. Um, they were a young couple, they were 26 years old, and then they had a nine-year-old and a four-year-old son. One night while out drinking at a bar, a local bar, uh, Jack is offered, excuse me. Yeah. Sorry, Ronnie. Their name is, their last name is Jack. Ronnie um, was offered a job by someone he encountered um, bucking logs uh, a little bit outside of Prince George at a place called Klukel's Lake or near that place. And it was almost too good to be true because he was saying how like, well, your wife could have a job too as a, like a cooking assistant in their kitchen and there's a daycare on site. And anyway, the the family packed their belongings in the middle of the night. They said they would be back in about 10 days, um, which would give them enough time for their older son uh, to go back to school and they have never been seen again. Oh God. 33 years old. I'm excuse me. Yeah. The case is 33 years old. Remind me, were they driving just themselves or were they riding along with the guy that they met at the, was it at the car? Right. So they didn't have a car. So they were allegedly offered a ride by this, mysterious person that offered them the job um they disappeared 33 years ago a lot of people think that this job is too good to be true and that all the details just sort of aligned it's just that it was speculated given that the nature of this job seemed a little sketchy and the details seemed a little bit too good to be true. Um, a lot of people wondered if it was a legitimate offer. Yes. And the theories are somebody lured them for some unspecific reason and murdered them. Or was it Ronnie covering for the fact he was up to something more sketchy than just your average log bucking job Hmm. i am pretty convinced that this guy did not have a log bucking job to offer and he was trying to kidnap the family for some sketchy reason 
What would that reason be, dare I ask? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say it's just because he's crazy. I don't know, but. There had to be some motive, right? I mean, yeah. can a motive be that you're a sociopath and you just want to see if you can get away with it? Sure. Sure, it can. Um, It's just, yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, and it's so old now. It's like, it's so obscure and it's just weird. It's, it's because no vehicle has ever been found either with these people that is also odd well if it's somebody that's got sinister intentions and that person's never been identified it's not like they know what vehicle to look for you know that's true we've had some good episodes more to come right absolutely yes that was a good review i recommend listening to all of those episodes and for anybody who's interested, I will be linking each episode in the description. No, I won't. You can find... <laughs> Just go to my website, 143mysteries.com, and you can look at all the episodes if you're interested. <laughs> this is a friendly reminder that you can find 1 minute and 43 seconds on the web at 143mysteries.com. No matter where in the world you're listening from or what you're doing, just know I hope you have a good day, and thank you so much for listening. One minute and 43 seconds is dedicated to my number one fan. Thanks, Dad. I love you and I miss you. This podcast has been approved by Skipper the Cat. Right, Skippy?